It may not be the end of the world, as predicted in Mayan lore, but 2012 is a great year for getting to know the indigenous Mayan culture of Central America. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. A travel specialist to the Mundo Maya tells us how to explore the Mayan past and present, from remote Indian villages and eco-lodges to massive pyramids built 1,500 years ago. The biggest and most impressive is Uxmal, which blew me away the first time I saw it. It's got really unique rounded corners on the pyramids and several hundred rain god masks that stick out from the building. Really, really stunning. Or maybe a stroll into old world Europe is more your style. We'll take a virtual tour of Prague, imagining the ornate sculptures and castles around us as we amble across the great Charles Bridge. Beautiful statues of saints on both sides and the big Gothic towers. Explore the old world wonders of Central America and Central Europe, today on Travel with Rick Steves. It's hard to beat a summer evening stroll in the old town center in Prague. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up in a bit, One of my favorite guides from the Czech Republic points out the pedestrian-friendly sites in the best-preserved capital of Central Europe. But for an encounter with a different world, we start today's travel with Rick Steves in the region of southern Mexico and Central America known as the Mundo Maya. By now, you've probably heard about this ancient Mayan prophecy that was recently uncovered. It appears that this year's winter solstice will be a very important date, at least for the Mayans, according to the calculations of their calendar. Josh Berman is an expert on the region and the culture, and he's written a guide for Moon Publications summarizing this year's events. It's called Maya 2012. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Rick. Yeah, 2012 is is a big deal. It's the end of the Long Count, which was one of the more important calendars in the Maya world. The Long Count is an exact count of time, 5,125 years or 13 baktuns, or 1,872,000 days, however you want to count it, it's all ending on December 21st, 2012, and then another baktun will begin. When we think about all this, by the way, we're, we're talking Mundo Maya, the Mayan world, and that would be, what, 10 million uh, Mayan speakers scattered through Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, and Honduras. Anywhere from 6 to 10 million Maya who live, yeah, throughout, throughout those regions sort of a parallel culture. I mean, there's an indigenous culture that is uh, actually on the rise, could you say? Yeah. Now that they're allowed to practice their religion more freely than they have before in these countries, there's definitely a renewed pride coming up. And especially since a Maya woman, Rigoberta Menchu, won a Nobel Peace Prize, and that's that's helped to bring them into the, the spotlight of the world. And then, of course, 2012 and all the hype right. and information and misinformation around it. So a big gear for people who are setting their sights on the, the Mayan uh, region. Can you just give us a primer on the, the most important sites, regardless of when you're going? What are the big four or five sites in the Mayan world? Well, one, you would go to Merida, Mexico, which is a beautiful colonial city that's kind of built around the exploration of the Maya world. So that would be a hub in the Yucatan for exploring sites in the Yucatan. That would be a hub, yeah. Direct flights there. It's four hours west of Cancun. You can take a shuttle from there, too, if there's a cheaper flight. And then from Merida, you have access to the Puk route, which is a really unique cluster of different sites. The biggest and most impressive is Uxmal, Hmm. which blew me away the first time I saw it. It's got really unique rounded corners on the pyramids and several hundred chalk. Chalk is the rain god. Several hundred chalk masks Hmm. that stick out from the building. Really, really stunning. And some incredible properties where you could stay almost right on the site and wake up and be the first at the gate to get in. Now, would Chichen Itza be part of that route you're talking about from Merida? Yes, it would. And if you're going to visit Chichen Itza, it's worth it. But to beat the crowds, just make sure you're there when the doors open at 8 a.m., beat the crowds, beat the heat, use those first couple hours, and then, then go to a Maya village, uh, Yashuna is near Chichen Itza. And that's where you can go and you could talk with modern Maya and, and make tortillas with them and ask them what they think about 2012. So a good hub for the Yucatan would be Merida, easy to fly in. And from there, you've got a loop route that would lace together a lot of Mayan sites, villages, pyramids, excavations. Yep. What's another hub? Another hub would definitely be Western Belize, the town of San Ignacio, mainly because of, one, the access to Guatemala and the Petén region in Guatemala, oh. and Tikal and Huachactún and the city of Flores. And the other thing about Belize is it has such a phenomenal selection of jungle lodges that are right on the river or right up there. i got to say, Belize is one of the secrets in our hemisphere, I think. There's, what, just 300,000 people who live in Belize? 
300,000 people who speak eight different languages. I mean, it's English incredible. is the, the main language there, but... Yeah, I mean, Rick, I've traveled around the world now, and I come back to Belize, <laughs> and I still have never seen anything like it. The, the diversity, the western highland portion of Belize and the Maya part of Belize is something that is still coming out. Yeah, you know, Belize began as a diving mecca about 20, 30 years ago, where right. it was only scuba divers, and that's changed. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Josh Berman in his new guidebook, Maya 2012, talking about celebrations all across Mundo Maya, the Mayan world, which includes Belize. We're talking about that now. Josh, Belize is, is a humble little country, as we said, uh, what, eight languages, only 300,000 people, and uh, you can get into the hinterlands and, and find actual Mayan communities that speak Mayan? Yeah, there's three different Mayan languages spoken in Belize, Yucatec, Mopan, and Quechi in the south. And in the southern Belize is where you can really get out into the villages, and they have a phenomenal homestay program called the Toledo Ecotourism Association, and it's a network of villages, of Maya villages throughout southern Belize, you go to PG, you go to Punta Gorda, is the town on the on the southwestern coast of Belize, and you go to the office and you say you want to do a couple of days in a Maya village, and they set you up and they put you on the bus, and you take the village bus, and you stay in a little concrete guest house, and then people feed you Maya food and take you to the nearest waterfall or the nearest ruin, teach you some Maya words, and that's your, your true immersive opportunity there in Belize. When I was there, I wanted to sleep in a hammock, but I, I really never managed it. Do you sleep in a hammock, and, and how can you get a good night's sleep in a hammock? <laughs> you know, there's a fine art to sleeping in a hammock, and it, it takes a lot of research. Um, what I came up with is you got really got to kind of get a diagonal slant so that you can straighten your body. So you kind of got to get diagonal like a pole and, and spread it out. And that lets you be straight. So then you're not in that hammock sort of curvy form. Have you ever had a good night's sleep in a, in a hammock? I have. I was sleeping in a hammock for a week in a, a Maya village called Mushukuchka in Mexico. And I think maybe the very final night I got a full night's sleep. Tell me about cenotes. I was particularly charmed by the cenotes that you encounter when you're traveling in the Yucatan and Belize. They're sinkholes. They're limestone sinkholes. The entire Yucatan shelf is made of limestone, and that dates back to an asteroid that hit the area 65 million years ago. But what that means today is that you can pull off the highway and climb down into this sinkhole in the middle of the jungle and go swimming or snorkeling or scuba diving. And you'll find many Maya cities are built, including Chichen Itza, are built near a cenote because that's the only water source. There's no rivers in the Yucatan. I bet if you dive to the bottom of one of those cenotes, they must be very deep, but you'd find Mayan artifacts. What, what would you be likely to find if you went to the bottom of a cenote? Depends on which one, but the one near Chichen Itza, they found several scores of skeletons and precious objects, which leads people to believe that there were sacrifices, people being thrown in there. So some of them really had full uses, and some of them were just completely wild. For the Maya, you know, we, we focus on these pyramids that rise up out of the ground and above the forest canopy, but we don't realize that the other half of the Maya world is Shibalba, the underworld, where the rain god and some of their most important gods lived. So there are many, many caves, especially in Belize and the Yucatan, uh, where you can just go. I mean, Belize has one of the most extensive cave systems in the world, and you can go in there, and, and each cave is an archaeological site because they're filled with, whether it's sacrifices or human skulls or a lot of pottery shards, so each cave is also an archaeological site. Much as the modern world has just seemed to permeate everything, it seems like in Belize, the jungle has put a blanket on all of these archaeological finds, and there's still lots lurking there waiting to be discovered. And of course, that's one of the main attractions, is just seeing how the jungle intertwines with these ancient structures, and then there's us walking through it and climbing over it. And there really, there really is no other way to feel as Indiana Jonesy as as when you're climbing over these roots and these crooked staircases and there's monkeys and toucans howling around you. It's it's really wild. Speaking of Indiana Jones and so on, take us just with you as you climb up to the top of a pyramid and you look out over the, the lush jungle. So I'm thinking of Lamini right now, which is a site in northern Belize, one of the most stunning sites, really remote. You have to take a boat to get there. You stay at the Lamini Outpost Lodge and then their temple, and it happens to be the temple on the cover of my book, They've got a rope hanging down, so you kind of use the rope to climb up. It's really steep, and you're going up, and yeah, you're in. You see the, the trees as you're going up, and then, yeah, as you get above that tree line, and at Lamini, you see half of what you see is jungle and green, 
and the other half is the New River Lagoon, and you're looking out over the water, and you realize how important a, a trading post this must have been huh. for the Maya sending canoes out to the coast. I'm looking at that photograph right now, and it's this pyramid is as gnarly as the word, I guess. It's just old and gnarly, yeah. standing above this lush jungle. And there's not a bump on the horizon except for other pyramids yet to be excavated. With a heavy atmosphere, it looks just humid. Yeah, and that just makes the sunsets and the golden hours go on forever for photographers. I mean, Fascinating. It's just, it, it couldn't be better, yeah. Josh, I would imagine three-quarters of the American tourists that go to the Yucatan go to Cancun and make that their experience. What's your advice when it comes to the, the big resort on the beach, Cancun? Well, Cancun's usually the cheapest place to fly into, and, and people even use that as a backdoor to Belize because you can get a flight for a couple hundred bucks and then take a four-hour bus down to the border with Belize. But there's plenty of ways to avoid the masses there, and one of them is to either just to drive straight to Merida, make a beeline for Merida, which is a great colonial city, a great base there, or to go down, work your way down the Riviera Maya, and you could stay at one of those massive resorts if you want, or stay in somewhere smaller. Uh, the fact is, once you're exploring, once you're out of the city of Cancun and you're exploring the Yucatan, you really realize how big it is and how much it offers. You can do day trips, you'll go to archaeological sites, you'll go swimming in cenotes, and you'll go to living Maya villages and maybe make you know, ceramics or pottery with modern Maya. So there's all those things to do in that whole area. And another site in the Yucatan, too, that's pretty underrated is Coba. It's near Tulum. Most Everybody knows Tulum. It's beautiful. It's one of the most gorgeous, scenic Maya sites ever. It's a trading post right on a bluff above the beach. It has its own beach. And Tulum gets a lot of much-deserved attention. It's beautiful. As you said, mm -hmm. it's right on the turquoise water. But just a quick drive to the west is Koba. And Koba was a majorly important city, possibly the biggest Maya city that ever existed. As many as 50,000 people may have lived there. And it just mm -hmm. extends over you know, miles and miles or just a small percentage of it is uncovered. And that's the only site I've been to that you can ride bicycles on 1,200-year-old limestone roads called Sakbe, Sakbeob. And then that is where I discovered a ceramic program where you can sit there, and it's right near the entrance to Koba. You sit there with Maya children from the nearby village and, you know, look at some of the Maya designs and, and make pottery with them with local clay. So that's interesting. Let's think of all the dimensions you can have for a Yucatan vacation. You can go to the villages and, and actually experience the artisan's economy. You can go to the archaeological sites and climb pyramids. You can just lay on a beach at a resort with all the pampering that goes with that. And you can head on down to Belize. Yeah, and you can wake up in the morning and decide which of those things you want to do today. Josh Berman, author of Maya 2012, thank you for uh, reporting in as we celebrate this very important year in the Mayan calendar. Thanks a lot, Rick. Hope to see you down there sometime. There's a link to Josh Berman's Maya 2012 guidebook in this week's radio details at ricksteves.com. Next on Travel with Rick Steves, a check guide takes us for a walking tour of Prague. We're at Prague, or Praha as locals call it, is one of the most popular cities to visit in Europe. It's a good springboard for exploring Eastern Europe, and the city has enough on its own to fill days and days of sightseeing. Prague is famous for its mystically beautiful cityscape along its Vltava River. And the city boasts a lively art scene, a fairy tale medieval old town, historic churches and synagogues, 
and what it claims is Europe's largest castle. It quickly became popular with young backpackers and college students from the West after it opened up after the fall of communism. In part, I suspect, because it has some of the best beer in the world at bargain prices. Fortunately, Prague was spared being bombed during the World Wars, so its quaint, compact, and pedestrian-friendly old town quarter is loaded with well-pickled charm. And to walk us around the city, we've imported one of my favorite local guides, Katarina Svoboda. Katarina, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting. What's short for Katarina? It's Katka. And Svoboda, what does your last name mean? That means freedom. Freedom. So Katka Freedom. Thanks yeah. for joining us. And you can enjoy some good freedom in Prague these days. Let's pretend I'm going to be a tourist on my first day in Prague and I've hired you to be my guide. I'm on the metro right now. I'm in the subway and I'm going to go to an easy place to meet you. Where's a common place for uh, the Prague people to meet each other? Well, I think it will be the top of the Wenceslas Square, uh-huh. the place we call, well, we, we call it the I'll see you at the horse tail, what actually means the the uh, good King Wenceslas statue, that's a knight sitting on a horse, so that's just right behind the statue, so that means So that's an easy tail. place to meet in a big city, exactly oh, under yeah. the tail of the horse that yeah. King Wenceslas is riding. That's true. The big equestrian statue at the top of the main square in the modern city. That's it. So Wenceslas Square... It's a huge square, but it's more like a big, long boulevard, really, with, That's a, with, correct. A, with a meridian yeah. in the middle. So you call it a square, but it seems to me like it's like a 20-block-long boulevard that is lined with great buildings and lots of history. Oh, yeah. That's correct. I meet you there under the horse's tail. How do you say that in Czech? Pod ocasem. Say, I'll meet you under the horse's tail. Uvidíme se pod ocasem. No problem. So I see <laughs> you there, and then we walk a few steps down the square... And we find something that really is an inspiration for anybody who respects freedom. What will we see? That's right. Yeah, very close to this uh, equestrian statue. We have a memorial to Jan Palach, uh, the guy who set himself on fire just after that kind of very complicated and bad day of our history, the 21st of August 1968, when the city and actually the whole country was attacked by the Russians and the others from the Warsaw Pact. So that's now where we have his memorial. Not just his, actually. There is also the other boy called Jan Zaid. So both of them, that's like their memorial there with the dates. So this is hard for a lot of us to imagine, but you had to live under the Soviet Union in 1968. The Czech people very courageously stood up for their freedoms, and they were quite um, brutally put down. And Jan Palak, P-A-L-A-C-H, he was a student, and he just burned himself as a, as a statement against... Uh, the subjugation. Yeah, that was exactly like that. And he, you know, he somehow could not stand also the situation. He saw that everything was, seemed to be kind of changing during those late 60s. And so people were kind of cheerful for the change. And all of a sudden it came. Because this was the year of the summer of love in America and all this sort of thing, the Beatle invasion, all sorts of exciting things were going on in the West. And uh, the Czech people were aware of that. I talked to my dad a lot about that because he was exactly like a 20-year-old boy like this Jan Mm -hmm. Palak was, you know. So then we talked about that. And then just because, yeah, this all happened, it was kind of clear that there is no way to change it that time. But then 20 years later or so... You yeah. had the, what was it called? The the, the, Velvet, the Velvet Revolution. Velvet Revolution. Yes. And that happened also. Tell us about what happened right on the square, just a, another uh, 100 meters down the way. You had the gatherings. That's true. I mean, it started in a different place of the city of Prague, you know, by the students who met on the 17th of November, 89, to commemorate one other event in our history. But then they were basically marching towards the Wenceslas Square, but then stopped by the police just down there on the Narodny Street. But then the next day, since the 18th on, people were just, first of all, just, let's say, individually, you know, getting to the square and talking to the other people, and then more and more came, and then all of a sudden you had the whole square completely packed with thousands of people, How many actually. people would you, would you guess? They said about, like, quarter of a million or something quarter like that. Quarter of even. a million people yeah. gathering together it was there, like the kind few, of spontaneously. Yeah, of course it was day by day because still people were kind of afraid, you know, that um, especially those who had the experience of 68. After 68, you could have a tank come in and shoot everybody down. Exactly. But this was 1989, is that right? Yeah. More than 100,000 people out on the streets. Yeah. And uh, finally, what happened? And then actually there on that very square, then in the middle of the square, you had one balcony. It was a different place. Now there is Marks and Spencer, but it's also quite a, <laughs> quite a, change, quite a change because, you know, all these yeah, new, uh, new brands coming to the city. But that time, there was the place where the leader, 
who unfortunately just passed away not very Václav far. Havel. Václav Havel yeah. uh, appeared there together with František Kardinal Tomášek, who was a very important man to all Czech believers because he was the first one who led the free service in the Sangvaris Cathedral just during the times of Velvet Revolution. Plus Alexander Dubček, who was actually considered to be that hero of 68 year and wow. all of these so you great have the, men the, the, together. The Catholic leader of the country, mm. the cardinal. You have Vaclav Havel, who was the charismatic playwright and, and every freedom lover's uh, inspiration in 89. And then you had Alexander Dubček, who was the courageous Czech uh, leader who stood up against the Soviet Union yes. in 68. All of them together on this balcony. Yeah, that was quite amazing. Yeah. And then also one uh, singer, you know, whom we know also from the past and who was actually abandoned uh, because she signed one of the treated the charge 77 and she could not do that and I mean she could not continue in her career and all that so then it was it was something that was the place maybe you know that where all the people took their keys out and they were rattling the keys so they're rattling the keys at the president's <laughs> palace what were they saying what was the reason yeah they were just saying like you know take your keys and go basically leave so they're your... telling the president the communist president sure jingle jingle it's jingle it's time for you to go home get your keys step yeah. in your car and get the heck out of here and then finally he did just that, and you had your freedom. It's amazing because it's oh, about boy. like six weeks of yeah of this kind of fights. It is so exciting to hear that story from from a, a, a friend who was actually living through that. It's a walking guide to Prague today on Travel with Rick Steves with local guide Katarina Svoboda pointing out the sights. Katka's website is pragwalker.com. Okay, so you have all this stirring history in, in just mm. in your own lifetime, and then you go further down the street and you come to a wonderful market, and all of a sudden you're surrounded by wonderful traditional salt-of-the-earth Czech culture. What would we do in the market? That's correct. That's the Havelsky Market. That's mm-hmm. on the way to the Old Town Square. And that's actually the market has been there since, well, we say ever, but we know it's been since the end of the 13th century. And well, there are a couple of things like, of course, great fresh fruits, vegetables, what you can get in the middle of the town. But also, uh, well, some paintings, some pictures, some spa wafers from our spa towns, but also quite a great, what I like, actually, quite a great item they have there. And these are the kitchen witches. Kitchen witches. Yes. Oh, tell me about the kitchen witches. Well, I don't know if this is a tradition of every single family in my country, but actually at least my mom and a couple of her <laughs> friends, they all collect them for good luck. So you can actually you buy It's like witch. a puppet. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a, puppet. a puppet. You'll hang it from the ceiling in, yeah, your, in, your, in kitchen, your kitchen. And it keeps out the bad spirits or oh, something yeah, like this. That's, that's Very important to have a kitchen witch. So you can go to this market as you're walk, taking our walk through Prague. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple blocks further, we're going to come to one of the most beautiful squares in all of Europe. Yeah, that's probably the one we call Staromniestske Namniesti. Oh, give it to me easier in English. Uh, Old Town Square. Old Town Square. <laughs> Say it again in Czech. Staromniestske Namniesti. Wow. And on that square, we see this incredible church. It's a fanciful church. Yeah, with the two spires. And that's one of the most beautiful Gothic churches we still have preserved in Prague. It's called Tyn, T-Y-N as we abbreviated the name of it. Teen or it's church. Virgin Mary at the Teen. It's actually the I full see. name of it. Great Gothic church and actually quite blocked by the buildings in front of it. So people have to really make an effort to be able to see it right. because there are like buildings in front of it. And we try to keep it really more for contemplating, you know, not big groups to go there and all this. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great place. And connected, of course, uh, with the statue also, what we have in the middle of the square. And that's the statue of Jan Hus. Jan Hus, H-U-S. H-U-S, uh-huh, yeah. in and, English. And most of us know Martin Luther, but Jan Hus was like 100 years before Martin Luther. That's correct, yeah. Uh, he's not so known probably internationally, but definitely for this part of the world, he was the one who basically started the Reformation, Reformation the process, people. yeah. And he, like Martin Luther, got in trouble for translating uh, the Bible into the language people could read. Yeah, that's... But unlike Martin Luther, he got burned, didn't he? Oh, well, yes, that's right. So they burned Jan Hus, but he was an inspiration, religious and just nationalistic for the Czech people that's, ever yeah. since. Yeah. Now, just around the corner, <laughs> there's going to be like a thousand tourists gathered with their mouths yes. open looking up at the sky. What are they looking at? Yeah, they could actually do it uh, many times in a day because it goes from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. still, and then... That's quite a clock. This uh, astronomical we clock. Have, yeah. I we mean, we, we have our uh, fancy uh, little uh, 
clocks on our wrists or in our pockets. But <laughs> back then, you would walk downtown to see what time it was, and it told more than just the time. Yeah, that's why even the name astronomical, because it showed you the yeah the movements of the planets, like the sun and the moon. Then, of course, the most important thing, that's what everyone wants to see, and that's the procession, or as we call it, of apostles. So this is like two blue windows there. They open, but only on a full hour. Okay. And then you can see 12 wooden figures of apostles like St. Peter with a big golden key. He's the first one leading figure, and then they go all in a row. This must have been special effects like nobody could imagine back in the Middle Ages when it was new. Mm-hmm. There's also a ring, isn't there, that shows every saint for every saint's day? Yeah, that's the section below. It's They are actually even more names than just saints, but they are like names of the Czech calendar. So everybody can come and find out what's going on at the astronomical clock. Now, I've been on this great square, the Old Town Square, during the World Cup, and it oh. seems like everybody's there, and there's a giant TV set up. That's exactly how we use it. It's quite a community gathering it. place, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, Have you been there for one of these yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, I was. Actually, even the Prague Marathon, it's actually starting there every year in May. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the either football, soccer matches, or then hockey matches. Yeah, we just go there. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Katka Svobodova about walking through Prague. And Katka, if we were standing in the Old Town Square or in that area back in communist times, and we looked down the street, we'd see a huge statue Well, yeah, that's right. (laughs) At the end of the street we call Paris, where now you will find quite an interesting uh, thing, and that's the metronome. Back then, that time, you would see the biggest statue, actually, the most enormous statue of all the communist countries, the statue of Stalin, the leader of the Soviet Union. The biggest statue anywhere in the communist world of Stalin, of Joseph Stalin. Now it's long gone, and there's a big sort of a modern art there now. Mm, Yeah, that's the metronome. It's actually a great place for skateboarders because (laughs) of the concrete base. You have Um, come a long way in one generation from having a statue of Stalin to a big metronome and a bunch of skateboarders. But that's how they use it in these days. And right off of the square, this is so amazing because we've just walked 15 minutes and we've already seen a lot. There's, of course, this incredible Jewish quarter. Prague had one of the most thriving Jewish quarters in all of Europe back in the Middle Ages. Yeah, that's right, actually. Uh, still, there is a lot of lot of to see. And if, uh, you know, someone says, I would like to see the Jewish Museum in Prague, it's actually not just one building, it's the whole area. And we have there now about six synagogues, the old cemetery, all belonging to the one institution. So you buy one ticket and it covers all yeah, of these uh-huh, sites. Yeah, that's like a combo, mm-hmm, combo ticket, and you can go to see all. And then plus, on the top of it, you can see the oldest active synagogue in these days in Europe. That's and an amazing And we are just lucky experience. to have it in Prague. Yes. In the old days, the ghetto was your classic ghetto with a walled community of people just living like in a hive, six gates that made sure people stayed in. And then uh, in the late 1800s, Franz Josef, you were part of the Habsburg Emperor, he said, let's bulldoze it and make it modern. And you've got all these beautiful buildings now that are still part of the ghetto with the old synagogues and cemeteries still surviving amidst that. So you wander from synagogue to synagogue past these gorgeous Art Nouveau buildings. And then you have the very heart-wrenching idea that Hitler intended to exterminate the entire Jewish race. And he said, this will be the site of my Museum of the Exterminated Jewish Culture. What is that the name that's, that he was going to call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened, and that's why, yeah, this is a very crucial point, you know, what I try to always explain to my visitors, because, yeah, a lot of them got this question, how come that we have everything so well preserved there? And we went all through this, you know, the, the Holocaust. Holocaust and everything, and all of a sudden you have there a cemetery where people were buried back in the 15th century, and even you have the oldest active synagogue that goes back to 1270s. So this was kind of, oh my, you know, kind of strange how this happened. But it was just because of this such ironic idea that they had. Oh, and during the hell of the Holocaust, when Hitler would destroy a Jewish community, they would take all of the beautiful artifacts of that civilization to Prague, it to, to, be, Prague. to be archived there. That's right, because every single item was tagged, you know, given a number, put into the record or books of records or so, and then stored in those synagogues, what we are now seeing yeah. as the venues of the museum. So, yeah, that's, that's powerful, actually one saved of the, more the whole po- One of the most powerful um, Jewish and Holocaust experiences in Europe is to go to Prague and to go to the ghetto there. It is important to remember that in the 1930s, there was 120,000 Jews living in Prague. Today, just a tiny community, but a rich heritage that you can see when you go to the Jewish uh, the ghetto. Now, we're walking across Prague. We're going to leave the Old Town Square and head on down to the river, and we come to what I think is my favorite bridge in all of Europe, yeah. Charles Bridge. <laughs> that's the Take Charles us across Bridge, Charles yeah. Bridge. 
Well, uh, the oldest bridge still, what do we have there? Only pedestrian, what is actually so great. It gets a little crowded during the daytime just because it's the main bridge, you know, connecting the two important sections of the city, the old and the, we call it lesser town it on the, the other side. It is the thoroughfare, isn't it, connecting the... It's, yeah, exactly. It's just so convenient, you know, to have it there. But it's decorated with beautiful statues. But beautiful statues of saints on both sides, then the big Gothic towers to enter, what were originally connected with the walls around, and you had to pay a toll way back there, but not in the days, of course. Now you just walk, you enjoy the art, you know, what is sold around. Festival of artists and musicians all along the bridge. Jazz, a lot. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, there are a couple of bands, great bands. They play there every single day and yeah, you just can wander around. It's great in the evening too, though, because it's not so crowded like during the day and it's beautifully lit with all the sights. And now they even, I think, put the gas lamps back so that even gets a little bit more to the old atmosphere, you know, how it looked there and the... You know, just I remember before the end of the Cold War, the bridge was empty. The Mm. buildings were all covered with black soot. It was like a ghost town. And today it is a festival of color and life. So, Katka, when we're on the wall, I just love the architecture of Prague because you have this, like you said, the old medieval towers, but there's also modern architecture. And if you look up the river a little bit, you find a very striking modern building. Oh, you probably think of the one we call, we locals call it Tanchitsi Dum, basically dancing house if we translate it, or then... There is also that nickname Fred and Ginger building. <laughs> the Fred and Ginger. Fred Astaire and Ginger And Ginger Rogers. Rogers, that's according to them, yeah. It's because it looks like they're dancing, doesn't it? That's right. There is a glass part, shape of a dancer. So that's Ginger then. And then the solid part, the building itself, that's Fred holding it, <laughs> holding that glass section. So Fred's holding Ginger and yeah. her, her beautiful dress is yeah, going out and you can almost building. see her foot coming. Well, very beautiful now. But at the beginning, oh my, there were a lot of discussions about... Controversial. Hmm, Controversial. If it fits or not, you know... Yeah, now, now we like it a lot. You know, uh, one thing I think we should remind people is in, in a place like Prague, there are a lot of very good, young, beautifully English-speaking guides that for a very reasonable price can show you around. Katka, if you want to hire a guide in Prague, just any young university student that's working as a guide or whatever, what would you pay per hour for a guide usually? Well, I think the, the more or less the average price now is about um, five, 600 Czech rounds, like 25 euros, let's say, per hour or like $30 then in, okay. in an hour or even less. Depends, of course, on experience, you know. Yeah, but for $100, you can get a guide for half a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And split that with a few Something travelers like that. and yeah. that can be a very nice that value. By the way, you can hear more interviews about Prague in our radio archives, including one we aired last fall with an American-raised Czech nobleman, William Lobkowitz. Find the radio section at ricksteves.com, then follow the links in our program archives to the Eastern European section. Share your own memories of Prague with us or ask Katka for help planning your next trip. We're at 877-333-7425 as together we stroll the cobblestones of Prague on Travel with Rick Steves. Γεια σας, είμαι ο Δημήτρης από τη Σαλονίκη και ταξιδεύω με το Rick Steves. Hi, I just said in my language, in Greek, I'm Dimitri from Thessaloniki, which is the north of Greece, and I'm traveling with Rick Steves. Γεια σας, είμαι ο Δημήτρης από τη Σαλονίκη και ταξιδεύω με το Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're walking across Prague with Katka Svobodova. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Gail is calling in from Harwood Heights, Illinois. Gail, thanks for your call. Yes, I had seen in your uh, guidebook about the John Lennon Wall in Compass Park. So we made sure that was some place we went to visit. I brought some markers with so we'd have something to write on the wall with. And that was quite interesting. Now, that's just off the bridge, as a matter of fact. So we just crossed the bridge and go down the steps to the left. We find ourselves on a little island. Katka, tell us about the John Lennon Wall. Yeah, well, it's actually pretty tricky to find it. But once you make the effort, you can find it. And that's, for some people, once you see it for the first time, it seems to be like, oh, my graffiti wall, and that's all. But it's full of that, you know, the story behind. Just a big, ugly graffiti wall, but it has a a nice history. Yeah, it started in 1980 when John Lennon was shot here in New York. And we, you know, how it was here back in my country in those 80s. And so really not easy to listen to all these Western bands. They were just not available in stores and so 
we had ways how we knew about them. Either people smuggled the tapes, you know, or some, somehow you just got to know that they are these great people living on the other side of the planet or so. So then actually when he died, a lot of people in my country, they considered John Lennon being one of those icons of freedom, like, you know, the lyrics in his songs and everything, his fights for freedom for other people and all this. So then, yeah, then we just started to call it the John Lennon Wall. It just appeared there with a lot of messages on, you know, flowers and all this just after he died. But of course, it was not very much supported by the government, by by the system. So you would come down and do uh, peace and love graffiti yeah. and freedom and all this. And then what did the government do? Well, they painted, of course, over. And then what over. happens again? Well, it just appeared again and again. So they just, <laughs> you know, probably realized there is no way that they could change you so know, the, the minds of people. So the government kind of tolerated it, I guess. That was one place where people could express themselves at the yeah. John Lennon I mean, wall. they watched it, you know, the wall, but you always found ways how you could put your message there if oh. there was no guards or whoever, you know, policemen around. So, And it was quite powerful. Yeah. Every year people gathered there. Of course, it could have been, and it was many times also pretty um, dangerous because there could have been some spies around, you know, people could get arrested for being there and all that. But we still have the wall there, and I think we will have it there for long. Even now, when we gain freedom, we are still sending messages to those others, you know, living under some pressure or in Also their... solidarity with other people mm. who lived through what you lived. Because... Now, if you go there, you really can read those messages, and this is quite something, yeah, to read, you know. Well, the spirit of John Lennon lives in Prague. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. It's important to remember this was 10 years before Prague won its freedom. So, you know, 1980, Na- yeah. uh, power to the people, all that kind of stuff must have been quite interesting to people in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia back then. Yeah, you're right, yeah. And uh, it's just amazing that also it was so many times repainted, but it's being really, you know, returned, people come back. Now the best thing is that you just take your pen with you. When take you... your pen. So Gail, when you went to the John Lennon wall, you had your marker, what did you do? Um, I I think I wrote something about uh, give peace a chance <laughs> and drew the little peace symbol on the wall, and then we took pictures of with what we wrote. Did you understand the uh, sort of the sentimental or historic importance of that wall to the Czech people when you were there? Oh, yes, definitely. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And then on top of that, I had seen on the Internet that the Czech Museum of Music was having a special exhibition called Beatlemania, So being a big Beatles fan, I had to see both. And that was great, going to the museum, too. You know, to me, the the Czech people are the people with one of the most free spirits of anybody I think I I can... There's just something special about the Czech people. And even when they weren't allowed to travel, I think they were good at traveling. They had a lot of ways to travel. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean, Katka? Yeah, I think I can. How can you travel when you can't travel? Well, you have your dreams, of course, you know. And then you just, of course, hope for... One day your your dreams will come true, and that was basically even my life like because that. Because with Dubček and Václav Havel mm. and uh, your wonderful sort of curious interest in the absurd and your passion for tea houses, mm. you could go to China or India in a tea house and never leave Prague. I love these tea houses, yeah. And uh, there is one, my favorite, at the bottom of the Wenceslas Square, that big square we just oh, yeah. talked about. And you really just step inside and you're in a different world. It's so, so, you know... It's like out of the place, but it actually belongs to the place in a sense. Yeah, it's India and Czech Republic at the same time. Very much so. <laughs> and it's 100 meters from the traffic of Wenceslas Square. Of oh, that very, very busy square. That's yeah, right, yeah. And that to me is so uniquely Czech in this ability to, to travel without mm. leaving home. Mm-hmm. And I would say the Czech people smoke more marijuana than anybody else in Europe. Well... <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> well, right, that's actually. <laughs> oh, I well, must admit sometimes that. <laughs> you have to take a trip and never never leave the farm. Mm. Gail, thanks for your call. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are walking across Prague with Katka Svobodova. Katka, when you go to Prague as a tourist, you hear a lot of people talking about the Royal Way. Oh, yeah, that's is, right. We're kind of on the Royal Way, aren't we? Yeah, the, the, the Royal Way, it's actually the the route what goes through the historical center of Prague, and it's been the route of all the coronation ceremonies, you know, when the king was going to be crowned up in the castle, then how it went, like down from the from the old town area, first of all, across the square, we call the old town square, then crossing that bridge, the most important to the city, the Charles Bridge, up to the hill to the St. Vitus. Okay, Cathedral. so we're halfway up the Royal Walk right now. We started at the old town square, we crossed the bridge, crossed the... What is the name of the river? Vltava. The Vltava River. 
And then we are heading up a long cobbled hill that goes to the biggest castle in all of Europe, depending on how you measure it. It's a huge castle. Now, as we come up there, we find a great cathedral. Yes. St. Vitus Cathedral. Take us inside. Well, the St. Vitus Cathedral, I think the most beautiful part of it, it's the Good King Wenceslas Chapel. That's one of the little tiny chapels on the side, but really quite important and a lot of magic going around that very chapel there. I've never felt such energy. I remember just crowding to get, you can't even go inside. There's two doors you can look in. And I crowded my way up and I just looked at the other door and I saw all the Czech travelers coming and muscling their way to get a peek into the chapel. What are they looking at? Yeah, that's the place where this, you know, the the king, we called him Good King Wenceslas, was buried. Okay, so Wenceslas Chapel. Mm-hmm. And then also it's actually the place where we have the secret door leading to the crown coronation jewel room. So oh, maybe that's also that about so the magic. there's a real mystique for the Czech people <laughs> yeah. there. And also nearby, you've got the Habsburg Emperor's tomb. That's correct. In the middle of the section, what is the oldest of the area? Because we have like two two sections put it together like the old one Gothic and the neo-Gothic part. So there is a a Habsburg tomb, but actually even below, I would say what is maybe more important to the Czech people, that's the the royal crypt, where we have uh, that famous great king, Charles IV, buried. You've got such a rich history Mm, for such a small country, too. I know. (laughs) How many many people in the Czech Republic? We have only about 10 million, 200,000. Such an exciting place to visit. Now, for me, a highlight of the St. Vitus Cathedral is the stained glass window by Alphonse Mucha. Oh, yeah, that's now, correct. Now, Mucha you is there. your great Art Nouveau artist. Art Nouveau and he artist. had such a mm. beautiful, voluptuous approach to organic, curvy, kind of uh, sexy art and uh, rich colors and a real connection with, this, with the soul of the Czech people. That's right. The, the window, what you will definitely not miss because it's kind of, you know, it just strikes you out when you get there. The colors also, just to see the the blue, you know, combination with the green and with the yellow and kind of... epic Slavic characters. I mean, this is going way back to the visceral beginnings of the Czech people. That's you right. You see it in these faces and these eyes. Yeah, yeah. He was he was quite, yeah, quite an artist. And... Mucha, M-U-C-H-A. There's a great museum for Mucha. And there's been quite a controversy because Mucha's epic work was the Slavic, well, the Slavic epic. And what is it, like 20 giant canvases? Yeah, they they are now just being transferred from the city called Moravsky Krumov to Prague. We will have them one day maybe on exhibit, but it's still not still, clear where and still when. Still in limbo, huh? It's a ve- oh, it's, yeah. It, this is one of the great art treasures in all of Europe, and it's been stuck way out in the hicks, mm, you know, in, 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 the, in the far town, east, in yeah. a small town, in a godforsaken town. And because of a disagreement between the family and the city government, I guess, they will not let it come to Prague until it has an adequate, by their definition, yeah. place to display Because it. that's actually what Mucha said. He said that he donated it to Prague, you know, so that's okay. why it it is kind of getting back to and Prague. And his ancestors want a beautiful place but, to put it. So we'll stay tuned for Mucha's oh, Slavic yeah. epic. Someday, do you believe it'll be in Prague? Well, it's already almost there, but still we don't have the exhibition. Not quite public. <laughs> yeah. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. We're walking across Prague. And Michael's on the phone from Juneau up in Alaska. Michael, thanks for your call. Dobry den, Rick and Katka. Dobry den. I've been in and out of Prague over the years since uh, 93. And in those times, pub grub was cheap. And almost any place in Center City, real estate has gotten so expensive. Help, where can I find a good class three or four from the communist days place to get good pub grub, even with all the smoking? That's a good question. What does uh, Michael mean by class three or four pub from the communist times? Do you know? Katka's not, not old enough to know about that one. Michael, what oh do you mean by... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I, have, I have new family there now. And... Uh, you had class one through five. Five was dreadful. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. so you're and talking four, four was working persons, uh, and class one was Obechny Doom type restaurants. Oh, I know what you mean. Now I, yeah, okay. sure. So, now I understand. So Michael's looking for a spit and sawdust pub, a Something, good old yeah, rough like, tavern with some crazy But not characters. the number five, but right? Not quite five. Yep, and good prices. Uh huh. Well, yeah, it's maybe a little. Yeah, a little harder now to find. What about um, by the hippo? What is that one? Oh, by the hippo down in the yeah, Lesser Town, just below the castle. So let's, let's, we'll finish our walk there. We're just we're going to hike for ten minutes down from the castle. Oh, great. How do you say that oh. in Czech? Uhrocha. 
Now, this must be a class three or four pub, quite rustic, but a lot of parliamentarians. And well, that's right, because of the prices, of the course. Prices. You know, you you normally get you you get the uh, the spoon for your goulash. You know, not like the real like knife and everything. You just, just the get the spoon right, and right. then kind yeah. of yeah. It's kind of like trough and brew. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's a quite yeah. What would we eat at by the hippo? What would we eat and drink? Well, um, I would say you know if we go there for a beer and we go quite often, we just love those cheeses going together like that. Hermeline, we call it. That's nakladaný hermeline. That's the mm-hmm. one what you have uh, in sucked in olive oil for a couple of days, you know, plus a lot of garlic and then onions and oh yes, it is, oh. <laughs> and also paprika, you know, the yeah, yeah the spicy one. Uh, and then, yeah, this is kind of a great... Uh, so bread and cheese and bread, beer. Bread, cheese and beer. Yeah, it just works and great And the beer together. in the Czech Republic. I don't know about you, Michael, but the Czech beer is... It, it, it rivals Belgian beer for the very best anywhere, I think. Oh, it is the best. And I've found a few places where you can spend as little as uh, 18 or 19 crowns for... Uh, a liter of uh, of Pilsner. Yeah, you get a big mug of the best beer in Europe for a dollar in the Czech Republic, and uh, it just keeps coming. It hits your table like water does at a restaurant in the United States, and they just assume you're going to be drinking beer. And I want to warn our listeners, it is stronger than what we're used to. I used to, mm-hmm. I used to have a mug of beer at lunch, and then for years I didn't realize it, but I just could not get any sightseeing done after lunch. I, <laughs> I had my own little term for it. I had Czech knees after lunch because of that oh, great I beer. <laughs> but I still oh. love that. You can drink a lot of beer for five bucks. <laughs> you got it. Michael, thanks for your call, and thanks yeah. for the memories. Yeah, Jankuya. Jankuya. Right, bye-bye. Bye now. Kurt's on the phone in Federal Way, Washington. Hi, Kurt. Thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. I went to the opera there, and it was beautiful. And unfortunately, I didn't take pictures until after, and after the opera was over with, and you can't take pictures after the opera is over with because they don't turn the lights back on. Uh, so if you're going to go to the opera, you want pictures of the opera house, please take them before the opera starts. No, that's a good advice because it's such a sparkling, sumptuous building, isn't it? Oh, it's it? beautiful. Now, this yeah. is what is called the, is it the municipal house that you were talking about? Yes, uh-huh. And that's so striking because it's Art Nouveau, isn't it? It's beautiful. Just beautiful. Now, I've been there just for the tour, and boy, there's a lot of uh, buildings where the tour is kind of uh, a little dull, but this one was incredible because I got to understand how lavishly decorated the beautiful place is and the meaning of all that and how close it is to the Czech people. The other thing that I can comment about um, is the jazz scene is fantastic in Prague. They've really taken to American jazz, and it's prevalent. It's Hmm. wonderful. Well, you know, what I was impressed in Prague is just the music scene in general. You've got lots of great jazz. You've got incredible dance halls and discos, and you've also got... Classical music, which is about a third the price of Vienna. And every night in beautiful venues, mm-hmm. there are several concerts. And for 15 or 20 bucks, you get some gorgeous music. And I really like to hear Baroque music in a Baroque setting. And you find that in Prague. There's a little music uh, box office in front of the church there on the Old Town Old Square. Town Square. Yeah. And I like it. There's a lot of box offices or tickets. But this is nice because you have a nice photograph of every venue. And I wanted to have the uh, sort of the holistic musical experience of enjoying the music I was looking for in a venue that sort of matched up well, and I could do it there. All right. Kurt, thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I've been speaking with Katarina Svobodova. We're enjoying her hometown of Prague. Katka, we just uh, did a walk across Prague. The sun's going down. Where can we go for a nice view of your magnificent city? Well, I think one of the best places would be on the hill, of course, to see everything was below us, like the city is built on the hill, so you have a couple of options. And maybe the best one would be on that hill we call Petrine Hill. Uh, that's also where we have a viewing tower, so either the tower or just around the tower, like where is quite a great local little microbrewery called Strahov. Okay, the Strahov Monastery, yeah. The Strahov Monastery, and that, that's, uh, that's the garden what opens really just right I below. Love that. And you look out and you see the castle on your left, you see the beautiful yeah. Voltava River. Yeah, in the and middle see, of the view. You see a lot of spires, and with the low sun, it's kind of golden spires. Oh, that's correct. Yeah, what's the nickname just... of Prague? Well, yeah, there is still, uh, even though we don't know how many towers we have, but still the nickname is, that's the golden city of hundreds. That's why they say hundreds of uh, towers and spires. And maybe they are getting close to 500 now. I just heard it recently. Really? So mm. we're looking at the golden city of 500 spires. Mm. Katarina Svobodova, thank you for introducing us to your city, Prague, in the Czech Republic. 
Thank you very much. Naschledanou. Keep the magic from your travels alive in the form of a haiku poem. Send us your original haiku and we just might read it on the air on a future show. Or write us a short essay about your hometown. There's a link for your submissions in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Here are some listener haiku about travels to Mexico. Linda Connor from Tulsa writes this about visiting the Yucatan Peninsula. Merida magic. Happy hammock harmony. Ruins and jaguars call. Xenia Torres Robertson from Ponca City, Oklahoma tells us, When she was 18, she joined her grandparents and their friends on a church pilgrimage to Mexico City. She says it opened her eyes to her Hispanic heritage to see things from the viewpoint of another generation. She fell in love with the city and wrote this after a return visit. Temple of the Sun, Feeling the Rock's History, Teotihuacan. And Claire J. Baker from Pinole, California, writes this from Walking the Beach at San Carlos, Mexico. Footprints by the sea, when wind blows over them, they slowly walk away. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick. Thanks to our colleagues at KGNU in Boulder, Colorado for studio help today. Also thanks to Robin Cronin, Andrew Wakeling, Jonathan Lee, and Chris Luzik for technical help, and to Keith Stickelmeyer for reading your travel haiku. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. You'll find program extras and links to our guests behind the radio tab at Rick's website. We've also archived many of the interviews from Travel with Rick Steves by Destination and made them available as an app for your smartphone. Look for the Rick Steves Audio Europe package at ricksteves.com. And we'll look for you next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks and phrasebooks for Eastern Europe and every other corner of the continent. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.